Shalom, King of Kings family. It's great to be with you on this very hot day out of Israel. We've had an ongoing heat wave for the last several days. Keep thinking it's getting ready to end, but it hasn't ended. But all it's doing is intensifying that greater desire for the next new season. As we know, the fall holidays and feasts are just right around the corner, and we're looking forward to those and to some cooler temperatures. Well, we have some of our servants in the house tonight with us, our production team, who we want to just say a big thank you to that are responsible for putting together every week the ability for all of the rest of us to be able to join together online. And so whether you're joining us on King's Community Live or Facebook Live or YouTube channel, uh, we're just glad that you're with us today. And uh, we're sincerely uh, honored that you would choose to spend your time together with us and uh, welcome to Jerusalem. Uh, there's a good chance that no matter where in the world that you're joining us today, that you have experienced that life has felt a, a bit out of control lately. It's very likely that you've bumped up against some confrontations and clashes and conflicts, quarrels and arguments or protests and demonstrations and rallies and disputes, whether you're here in Israel where we have been having uh, disputes and rallies and protests, sometimes twice a week, huge ones here in Jerusalem and in Tel Aviv, or whether you are in some other place in the world uh, like uh, uh, the United States, we know that the world is on fire with unrest. Uh, from the many protests and the riots that are taking place in the United States to many, many other places around the globe, the Philippines, the United Kingdom, Z New Zealand, all across Europe, Hong Kong, China, Brazil, and even Canada, peaceful Canada. Hardly is there any place where there isn't unrest, where there's normal ease and calm. Unless you're living out in the middle of nowhere, you've experienced these quarrels and these controversies. Uh, many of us are just watching from the sides as these things unfold and, and we're not participating, but others of us are being swept up into the controversies, into the arguments, into the disputes. But whether you're just watching them or whether you're participating in them, they are impacting your world. There's a, a wave of divisiveness and controversy, or if you're joining us from the UK, it's a controversy. Such a great word, a wave of controversy is sweeping over the world and it's leaving in its wake deep divisions and powerful animosities that we've never seen the likes of uh, up until now, creating polar opposites, creating an environment where people feel like they have to make a choice. They have to be on a side. They have to be in a camp, a position, an opinion, one way or another, seemingly without any kind of a middle ground. There's no place, it seems, that's safe. Everyone is fighting someone or something, it seems. It's like these cartoons. Guys, you can go ahead and throw those up on the screen. This is what it looks like. Today, everywhere, everyone is protesting everywhere. Everyone is protesting everything everywhere. That's about what it looks like right now. It seems that uh, this is our normal news, or this next one, I love this one, down with protests. Uh, if I was going to go out and protest, I think this was the sign that I would actually carry with me. Or the next one, look at this. This is a, a silent 
protest. Or the last one, and I, and I love this, is my favorite. This is the most positive thing that I've done all year long. No, never a ban. One of the largest spawning areas of all of the controversy and the disputes, full of heated and caustic language, is on social media and the blogosphere and the media outlets. A friend said recently, it's not safe to post anything anymore on the internet, on social media, because somebody somewhere is going to be upset that you didn't say it the right way or that you even said it at all or, or they're going to agree with you and say that you should be more uh, violent about it. A couple weeks ago, I was scanning through Facebook where I have chosen to be very quiet. And as I'm scanning through Facebook, I ran across a couple of posts, two different people that I know, um, both people, they don't know each other, but both people I have high respect for. These are good, godly people. And both of them unleashed this rant and this rage about other people's rant and rages on Facebook. And, and I remember thinking as I was reading through that, I, I remember this thought, this, this isn't very wise, guys. This isn't a, a good way to handle the situation. It's only making the situation worse. It's fueling a greater anger among other people. Which brings us to our message and to our text tonight. If you want to grab the greatest book that you've ever owned, grab your Bible, whether it's on your Bible or on your iPhone or on your tablet or your computer, or you have the hard copy version, let's grab that. It's open up to the book of James. James chapter 3. And if you haven't joined us recently, Pastor Chad has been taking us through the faith and faithfulness series. We've been going through the book of James. And all along the way, James has been focusing on how to live as a believer, especially in the midst of continuing and ever-present difficulties and trials and hardships and struggles in a broken and a defective world. So what he has to say actually overlays very well on the day and the hour, this, the world that we're living in right now. James is writing to a young body of Messiah. They're new believers. He's writing to the 12 tribes in dispersion. It's the body of Messiah that's dispersed around the world. And like many other times in the history of the body of Messiah, they're walking through a very difficult time, the struggles and trials of their faith. And so James is trying to encourage them by actually challenging them not to give in to the temptations that are coming at them during this very difficult time. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, he says, because having stood the test of faith, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those that love him. A little bit later, he says, if any of you lack wisdom, you should just ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. That's a great promise. But I find it interesting that it's at these times of challenge, of difficulties, of trials, and of testing, where we feel like the temptations are stronger than ever before, where it's harder to resist those temptations, where we feel weaker maybe than ever before, where we're trying to make it through and the temptations feel overwhelming. And it's often easier in these kinds of seasons and settings to give up 
and to give in, to capitulate, and to manipulate things to get it our way, to take a little bit of ease off the pressure that we're feeling, to, to satisfy, if you will, our, our flesh, and to give in to the desires of our flesh. And then in doing this, we justify our bad behavior and our choices how, by how bad things are. If things weren't going so badly at home, man, I'd really be able to dive into what God has for me. If the, the situation with our finances wasn't so bad, I'd really be able to serve the Lord. If, if I wasn't struggling with these health issues, man, I'd be giving God my all. I wouldn't be giving in to these temptations if our finances were stronger, if my health was better, if I didn't have these relational issues. And we justify our actions by the bad settings, the bad things that are going on in our lives. Well, this is where these folks are found as James addresses their justification of their sinning, saying that God is tempting them. Pastor Chad addressed this a couple of weeks ago and said God can't be tempted, so he's not going to be able to tempt other people. Those temptations that we feel, especially in these seasons that we're walking through, come because of the evil that's in our own hearts. We're dragged dragged away by our own evil desires, James says. Actually, James counters this with the truth, and he says that what does come from God isn't temptation, but it's every good and perfect gift that comes down from the Father of lights. It seems that these folks that James is writing to are responding to their hardships, to their difficult times, to their trials in all of the wrong ways. They're sinning in a few specific ways which James addresses addresses head-on from the very beginning of his letter. He doesn't beat around the bush. He goes right straight to the point in chapter 21. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. A little bit later, it says, those who consider themselves to be religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. From these words, we get a picture of this environment that James is looking at. We can perceive that there's arguments and strong words and fighting and anger, bickering and quarreling, and there's stirred up trouble and anger. Between them, this is a religious environment. It's believer against believer, arguing with each other, acting religious on the outside, saying all the right things, but coming from a place of self-importance or coming from a place of jealousy or envy, selfishly trampling over each other, saying all the right things, doing lots of boasting and bragging about what's right and what's wrong, comparing themselves with one another, who's the greatest teacher, who has the right knowledge, who has the right information. They're respecters of persons, James says. They're showing partiality to some that are influencers or that have uh, wealth or that are, are just uh, popular among the people, but despising others, poor and needy, and those that aren't popular among them. And yet, somehow, in all of their understanding, they understand this to be the right way to deal with people, the sophisticated, advanced, adult, modern way of dealing with 
people, treating them the way that they're treating them, comparing and continually contrasting and putting them in categories. Who's better and who's worse? I want to pause and double-click on that thought for just a moment. As I was processing these things, you know, sometimes it's easy to, to read accusations in the Word and to look at those people that are doing those things and somehow separate ourselves from those things. But as I was processing those things this week, I was struck with this reality how often I battle these exact same things in my own life. How often... I believe that we're all tempted to be jealous of other people and, and what their lives look like and what they're getting to do or what their situations are. And we, we look across the fence as if somehow they're better than we are and we compare ourselves to them. Or how often we're, we're just comparing. I'm comparing myself to other people, those that are around me. It's a continual temptation that I know I face, I believe that most of us face, especially in these challenging seasons where everything feels upside down, where we feel unstable and unsure of our future. We're we're tempted to compare ourselves to other people and to be jealous about what's going on in their lives. And, And so this is what James is addressing with his readers. He's talking to them about their showing of partiality and how their faith is there, but it's empty. There's no works to back it up. There's nothing to show that they actually have a change of heart on the inside. And then talking about their tongues, their tongues are out of control. Quite honestly, they're all talk and the talk isn't good. The words are bitter and divisive and caustic. They're sharp and selfish, and they're tearing themselves and each other down. Essentially, they're following the pattern of the world that says, this is what a a wise person looks like. This is how a wise person acts. And they're setting their own world on fire with disagreements with each other, promoting their own selves, comparing themselves, jealousy and envy, and, and all of it in a worldly, wise way, hurting themselves and hurting each other. Our Pastor Chad has done a great job highlighting each of these over the last few weeks, this partiality, faith without works, and last week, the power of our tongue. And it's all in our archives. If you haven't heard all of those, you can check those out. James finally sums up all of these ideas and challenges these believers and their perspective of under, and their understanding of wisdom. He, he boils it all down into this, what is wisdom really like? What is it supposed to look like? So join me in chapter 3 of James. We're going to be looking at the very last section, verses 13 through 18. And he starts off by asking a question. And he says, who is wise and understanding among you? A different version says, are any of you wise and sensible? Another version says, are there any among you who are really wise and understanding? The New Living Testament says, if you're wise and understanding God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. 
James leverages everything that he's been talking to, talking about up until this point, the partiality, faith without works, the, the tongues that are out of control. He leverages all of that to make a very important distinction between real wisdom, the wisdom of God, and what the world calls wisdom, what the world says is wise. So he says in verse 13, who's wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. Let them show it by their deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it and deny the truth. Promoting yourself, he says, isn't wisdom. It's selfish ambition. It's only thinking of yourself. It's not thinking about the other person or the other people. Envying others, that's not wisdom. Boasting about your abilities and about yourself, talking about yourself, James says, that's not wisdom. And then he continues in verse 15, such wisdom, he says, does not come down from heaven. But it's earthly, it's unspiritual. He even says it's demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. That's a strong word. The message version says it this way, twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning and devilish conniving. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or getting the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at each other's throats. These are the fruits of worldly wisdom, envy and selfish ambition, which James says are demonic, crafty, and they produce a fruit, a fruit of disorder and every evil practice. The wisdom of the world, which is often seen as sophisticated and modern and uh, the adult way of treating other people, is actually everyone looking out for himself or herself, their own interests, continually contending and comparing themselves with each other out of jealousy and out of envy, out of pride, out of their own rights, their own strife. It's exactly what we see taking place all around the world today. The world is on fire with controversy, with controversy. There are divisions of every kind, and people continue looking after their own interests now more than ever. It's always been on fire, but now more than ever during this very struggling time that that nations are facing, facing and families are facing and congregations are facing. The world is on fire like never before. So James, after exposing the poison and the venom of this earthly fake kind of wisdom, now clarifies for us what real wisdom looks like and what it acts like. The wisdom that he says comes down from above, from the Father of lights, God's wisdom. Verse 17, he says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive. There's a word that our world does not like to hear in any form, submissive. This is what wisdom is. 
God's wisdom. It's full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial and it's sincere. God, God's wisdom or the real wisdom has recognizable fruit, good fruit that allows us and helps us to, to know that it's the real deal. It sets itself apart from the wisdom of this world and allows us to understand what's the difference between God's wisdom and worldly wisdom. First, James says, real wisdom is pure. It's free from contaminating self-interests. It's unmixed in its motives. Its motives are pure. It's clear in its approach. It's not cluttered. It's not double-minded. God's wisdom is peace-loving. God's wisdom looks for peace. It looks for a path of peace. It looks for ways to create peace. It's gentle and it's disarming. It's considerate and submissive. It's open to reason. It's not argumentative. It's humble and selfless. And it looks out for the interest of the other. God's wisdom is full of mercy. It's thinking the best of everyone. That's a hard thing to do. It's quick to forgive, quick to forget. It doesn't hold a grudge. This is God's wisdom. It's impartial. Everyone is seen the same. Everyone is valued the same, loved the same. Everyone is measured with the same wise measurement. Finally, his wisdom, God's wisdom is sincere. Like the pureness above before, it's earnest. It's free of deceit. It's free of hypocrisy. Now imagine with me for just a moment, what would it look like if God's people, if just the people that were hearing these words tonight that are tuning in online, if only us would actually live out all of the different parts of our life, all the different tasks of our life using only God's wisdom, it would change the world dramatically because it's that strong. But James isn't finished yet. He makes one last powerful statement about real wisdom, what God's wisdom looks like. And he says this in verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Another version says when peacemakers plant seeds of peace, they will harvest justice. Another version says people who work for peace in a peaceful way get the blessings that come from right living. King James Version says, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The Message Version says, and you can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other. It's hard work. Treating each other with dignity and with honor. And those, the, the New Living Testament says it this way, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Maybe now more than ever before, the world needs peaceable peacemaking people who are planting seeds of peace. 
Say that five times fast. Peaceable, peacemaking people who are planting seeds of peace. This is what the world needs. People that will be willing to do the hard work of sowing peace. It's hard work. It doesn't come naturally. Said a different way, what the world needs, which it's always needed, but now probably more than ever before, is the men and women of God, you and me, the body of Yeshua, to live out our lives with God's wisdom, not defaulting to that cheap and easy earthly wisdom that we naturally move in, which is poisonous and deadly. You see, true wisdom, we need to hear this, true wisdom is not good advice, good ideas or ideals, knowing which side of the debate is the right side. Real wisdom, sorry, I just lost my nose one second. (laughs) Don't know how I did that. Real wisdom, God's wisdom is measured by how we see and treat other people. So let me just say that one more time. True wisdom is not good advice and finding the right side of the debate. Real wisdom is treating people with honor and with respect. If we look at that list of fruits that comes from wisdom, it's pure and peace-loving and considerate and submissive, full of mercy and impartial and sincere. These things are the things that greatly impact our relationships and how we treat and see other people. Because wisdom is real when it's in motion. So I'm going to say that one more time. Wisdom is real when it's in motion, when it has actions, when it's doing the hard work of being pure and loving other people, considerate and submissive, full of mercy and impartiality. Ultimately, when we're operating with God's wisdom and not our own version of the real thing, it carries with it a strong peace and it produces righteousness. James says that there's a difference between the the peace of God, the wise, the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world with very different outcomes, either death and destruction or a harvest of righteousness. And he challenges us and he challenges his readers with this truth. Ultimately, what James is trying to bring home is how other people are treated in our lives, not how other people are treating us. How are the people treated in your life? How are the people in your life, the close-up ones, your family, your spouse, your children, your parents, how are they treated And this is what James is driving home. And then depending on which source of wisdom that we choose determines how people are treated. Said a different way, how we treat other people is determined by our choice of wisdom. Which source of wisdom we're going to. See, wisdom is the knowledge that we need to live out our lives and to interact with our circumstances and to interact with other people. If we're using God's wisdom, if we have the real deal, if we're relying on that, then the people in our lives are being treated fairly. They're being treated with dignity and with 
honor, with respect, and with love. They're not seen as the competition, as better or worse than us. We just love them. They're being loved and interacted with humility and submissiveness and selflessness where we put ourselves second so that they can be first. That's the hard work of God's wisdom because it doesn't come natural. But when we're willing to do that hard work, the other person is honored out of our humility and our selflessness. This is the hard work of sowing the seeds of peace using God's wisdom. However, if we see discord in all of our relationships and everything is upside down and there's quarreling and arguments and competition and bitterness and envy, if we see that in our relationships, we most likely are defaulting to our own earthly wisdom, our own just natural earthly understanding, which James says very clearly produces all kinds of evil. If we see all those things in our lives, very, very possible that we're operating out of earthly wisdom. So I want to end tonight with a couple of thoughts. Thought number one, if we're short on godly wisdom, if our lives have been filled up with the earthly kind of wisdom, and all of a sudden we're looking across the landscape of our lives and all we see is quarrelings and bitterness and envy and jealousy and and bickering, if we see that, we're short on God's wisdom. If we're short on God's wisdom, James has great news for us tonight. All we have to do is ask. James says if you lack if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. It's as simple as that. If you lack wisdom, ask God, who gives generously. He doesn't just give a little smidge. He gives generously. He heaps it upon your plate to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. It not, might not be given to you. It's not maybe if you're the right kind of person, he might give it to you. He says if you ask, he'll give it to you. It's as simple as that. God doesn't play games. If we don't have it and we ask, he'll give it to us. He doesn't give it to some and not to others. He knows that we need it to live righteously for him. And so all we have to do is ask. He's the authorized and legitimate dealer and source of real wisdom. And so this is what it looks like in each one of our situations as we step into them. We know that we don't come with our own wisdom. It's not going to work. We've been down that path before, and it always crashes and burns. So we ask for wisdom. As we're stepping in to work out with our children or with our spouse, we ask for wisdom. As we're dealing with our coworkers or our neighbors, we ask for wisdom. Dealing with our, our, uh, uh, the world around us, those that don't know the Lord, we ask for wisdom. We quit relying on our own earthly wisdom. Now more than ever before, the world needs us to step up to the plate and use God's wisdom, to walk with his wisdom in our lives. And here's the second thought. I want to leave you with a challenge 
a challenge about how we live our lives with God's wisdom. This is what it can look like. Paul challenges the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2 with some of these ideas. I'm going to be reading it out of the message version because it hits home, but it's saying the exact same thing that you're going to find in other versions. Paul is speaking to the Philippians and he says, if you've gotten anything at all out of following our Messiah, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Yeshua thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status, no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. He became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredible humbling process. He did the hard work of walking in God's wisdom. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. This is what it looks like to walk in God's wisdom. For God's people to use his wisdom. It's that wisdom that comes down from above. We can't find it here on the earth. There's no place that we can go on this earth to find that kind of wisdom. It only comes from God. There's one source. And it comes from God, the Father of lights, James tells us. The truth is there's no one that this doesn't apply to each and every one of us. No matter what our status or our condition needs, this kind of wisdom. Because the world, more than ever before, needs us to walk in God's wisdom. And then finally, just because this is who I am, this is your homework for the week. To carry Philippians chapter 2, those first eight verses... Put that list together and carry it around with you and, and maybe longer than this next week. Learn to agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Set yourself aside. Help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand and think of yourself. Think of yourself. View yourself like Yeshua viewed himself. Put yourself in that kind of setting. Put yourself in that kind of mind frame. Lower and humiliate yourself. Humble yourself. Let's pray. God, we thank you 
that you didn't leave us on this earth to make our way with our own understanding, with our own wisdom, but you've promised as the Father of lights to give us your wisdom, the wisdom that comes down from above. And we just confess tonight, God, we need your wisdom. We need your wisdom in our lives. The world needs your wisdom now more than ever before. God, we're looking to you as that authentic seller of wisdom, that giver of wisdom. We look to you, God, and ask that you would fill our lives with wisdom. Give us understanding and discernment and your wisdom for the day and the hour in which we're living. We need it now like we've never needed it before. And all of God's people said, Amen. 